Thanks for checking out this week's podcast from Center Street Church. We pray it blesses, encourages, and inspires you. Well, I want to welcome all of you here at Central Campus and also those of you who are joining us online, as well as those of you who are meeting together at one of our other uh, regional campuses in Airdrie, in South Calgary, and uh, Bridgeland, and also in the Crowfoot Theatres in Northwest Calgary. So I trust you had the opportunity to decompress uh, just a little over the last, for at least a few days, uh, over the Christmas uh, New Year break, and to get um, some rest and to recalibrate. Uh, over the last couple of weeks, uh, we did just that um, after a very full fall ministry season that culminated in the Christmas Eve services. Um, and by the way, just um, to update you on that, we, we know of uh, around 20 people who um, uh, came to faith in Jesus Christ uh, as a result of those services. Isn't that wonderful? And... Um, so thank you for praying, and also for those of you who are able to just help us, uh, you know, welcome our community. We had close to 10,000 people here in those four services. Uh, so we're in a series uh, we're calling uh, Christianity 101, in which we're examining the essential beliefs of the Christian faith. And so far, we've looked at what the Bible teaches about the nature and the character of God, uh, of Jesus Christ, uh, Holy Spirit, and also our enemy, Satan. And we've just finished uh, looking at what the Bible teaches about prayer, uh, the importance of prayer, the barriers to prayer, the power of prayer, and then also learning how to pray uh, through the Lord's Prayer. Well, we come now to what we believe about the Bible itself. You know, even though we live in a day in which most Canadians do not believe objective truth exists, you know, as I interact with people uh, in our community and, and people that I meet uh, in the church and through the church and all that, my sense is um, we are hungering as a culture for truth as never before. Uh, some people live in denial for a time, but then a loved one dies unexpectedly or um, they receive bad news uh, from the doctor regarding a medical uh, test. And suddenly they're confronted with the eternal questions of life. Questions about the meaning of life. Questions about the re um, uh, what really matters in life. Uh, questions about death and dying and the afterlife. Or they're blessed with a child. I, I play hockey with a fellow and, and uh, just asked him how it was going. He says, well, we, we, we just became parents. And I said, oh, so how's that going? He said, life-changing. And I said, so how's the life changing? And he says, well, it's not about me anymore. It's about that little guy, you know. And I can't do what I've always wanted to do and all the rest of it. And, and you know, that is true. Uh, there comes a time uh, when, um, uh, you know, when, when, when uh, a couple have, have uh, a child and they realize they can't keep living just the way that they have always lived or just the way that they've always wanted to live, because they're now responsible for another life. And often that leads to all kinds of questions, like how are we going to raise this child? Um, what morals and values are going to guide us as a family? And how are we going to answer 
this child when one day they come along and ask us about God or they ask us about why this is right and why that's wrong and what happens to a person when they die? Like what happens to grandma when she died? And all those kind of questions. What, how are we going to respond? I'm convinced that it's at times like this or times when our life begins to unravel for whatever reason that we begin to search for truth. We begin to ask ourselves hard questions like, what am I staking my life on? In whom or in what am I really trusting? Well, folks, some 40 plus years ago, I put my faith in Jesus Christ. I found answers to the eternal questions of life that I was grappling with in his written word, the Bible. The Bible tells me about the character of God. It tells me how I can have a growing friendship with my creator. It tells me how I can live this life to the fullest. The Bible is my manual for living. It is my compass. It is my fixed point of reference. And along with Christ is my ultimate authority. Not because I necessarily need something to believe in or, or someone to trust in, but because I am convinced to the core of my being that Jesus lives and that his word, the scripture, is accurate, reliable, and trustworthy. Now, I believe that most people, including some Christians, don't read the Bible, never open its covers, much less follow it, because they aren't really convinced the Bible is God's word, that it's authoritative for their lives. These days, the word authority is, is not very popular in our Western culture. In part because some people in authority, like our politicians and, and some of our politicians and, and, and um, you know, even police and, and, and various people in authority, they've broken our trust. But we also resist following authority because we've kind of grown cynical. And we've grown increasingly independent and self-reliant. And we really resist this notion of anyone telling us what to do. But when it comes to ignoring the Lord, when it comes to ignoring the Bible and refusing to see the scriptures as our source of authority, that is so tragic because we're missing not only having that close friendship with our God, but we're missing out on his best for us. And so in this message, I want to make a case for why we can trust the Bible as our authority. Why we need to take this book seriously. But first, would you stand with me as we dedicate our time to the Lord in prayer? Our Heavenly Father, we thank you for revealing yourself to us through your creation, through your Son, and also through your written word, the Bible. Thank you for not just creating us and then leaving us, Lord, but reaching out to us. Helping us to understand what you're like. The kind of relationship you want to have with us. Helping us to understand how we can live this life to its fullest. And so I pray, Lord, as, as we look at this issue of the authority of the Scriptures, I, I pray, Lord, that you would, um, 
soften our hearts. You would focus our minds. And Lord, you'd give us the will, the courage to respond in whatever way you'd have us to. For I pray it in the precious name of Jesus. Amen. You may be seated. So why can we trust the Bible as our source of authority? Well, first of all, because it is true and reliable. I'm not going to spend much time on this particular point because around two years ago in the Why Belief series, I presented a number of compelling reasons for why we believe in the Bible, including historical accuracy, manuscript reliability, the testimony of archaeology, And, of course, the testimony of the prophets. In Isaiah 41, God gives this challenge to the gods of other religions. Present your case, says the Lord. Set forth your arguments. Declare to us the things to come. Tell us what the future holds so that we may know you are God's. In this passage, God is saying that one of the most powerful evidences for knowing whether a God exists, whether a God is for real, is the ability to accurately predict future events. Well, the Bible is the only sacred book that makes specific predictions about the future. In the sacred writings of all the other world religions, you will not find a single example of specific Uh, predictions about the future. And yet in the Bible, there are hundreds of predictive prophecies which are very specific and detailed. And many of those predictions have already been specifically fulfilled hundreds of years after the death of the prophet who made them. Clearly proving that our God, the God of the Bible, is God. Clearly proving that his word, the Bible, is true and carries his authority. Now that's just a brief example of the compelling evidences for the validity of the Bible that are covered in the Why Believe series. And if you miss that series, you can go online, uh, go back a couple of years, and you can um, uh, watch that on our website or, or, or get the DVDs from our Appleseed minister because that particular series is foundational to this particular message. And so the first reason that we can trust the Bible as our source of authority is because it's true and reliable. The second reason we can trust the Bible as our source of authority is because Jesus confirmed the Bible to be God's Word. Dr. Norman Geisler, who I give credit for some of the thoughts to follow, he says the reason we believe the Bible is God's Word is not because of the overwhelming historical archaeological and prophetical evidence that's been made available to us, as important as that is. No, the overriding reason for accepting the divine inspiration and authority of the Scripture is plain loyalty to Jesus Christ. We believe in Jesus. We believe he was a real person who walked the face of this earth. We believe that he is the second member of the Holy Trinity. He is God. And we trust what he believed about the scriptures. And as we're going to see in a moment, Jesus not only endorsed the Old Testament scriptures, but he purposefully arranged for the writing of the New Testament scriptures through his apostles. 
Let me unpack that a little bit. First of all, Jesus endorsed the Old Testament scriptures. He quoted the Old Testament scriptures often. He didn't question their authority or their validity. In Matthew 5, Jesus said about the Old Testament scriptures, I have not come to abolish the law and the prophets, but to fulfill them. In other words, Jesus was saying that he didn't come to change the Old Testament or to discredit it in any way. He came to explain God's original intention behind the Old Testament teaching and also behind the laws that were given and to fulfill or complete the Old Testament prophecies through his own life, death, and resurrection. Now in Mark chapter 7, verse 9, Jesus confronted the Pharisees they were a group of legalistic spiritual leaders for adding their traditions and their rules that they had come up with to the scriptures. And he said this to them, you have a fine way of setting aside the commandments of God in order to observe your own traditions. In other words, they were holding up their traditions and rules as greater or equal to scripture. And Jesus rebuked them for doing so. Well, you turn over to Mark chapter 12, verse 24, and we find Jesus confronting the Sadducees, another group of religious leaders who were incredibly sad, you see. <laughs> the Sadducees denied the miraculous. They denied the supernatural, including the resurrection. And Jesus said this to them, Are you not in error? Because you do not know the scriptures or the power of God. All that to say this, Jesus, God the Son, endorsed the Old Testament as the word of God. He quoted it, he respected it, and he confronted not only those who tried to add to it, but also those who tried to subtract from it. So what about the New Testament? Well, the argument here is obviously different because at the time, of, the time that Christ was on earth, the New Testament wasn't written yet. And yet we see clear evidence in the scriptures that Jesus intended and deliberately made provision for the writing of the New Testament by appointing and empowering and authorizing his apostles to do so. The term apostle is the title which Jesus himself chose for um, his 12 disciples. In Luke chapter 12, we read this. He called his disciples, and he had more than 12, by the way. There was a much larger group of them. And you see that in this verse. It says he called his disciples, and then he chose from them 12, whom he named apostles. Now, the apostles had three qualifications which made them a unique and irreplaceable group. The first was their personal commission. No apostle was self-appointed or was appointed by a man uh, or even by the church. They were all personally chosen, commissioned, and authorized by Jesus himself. Furthermore, not only did Jesus personally commission them, but he also gave them a personal experience of himself. He said in John 15, verse 27, you also were witnesses because you have been with me 
from the beginning. And so when the time came for somebody to replace Judas, the essential qualification that Peter laid down in Acts chapter 1 verse 21 was as follows. Therefore, it is necessary to choose one of the men who have been with us the whole time the Lord Jesus went in and out among us. For one of these must become a witness with us of his resurrection. So that raises a question. We know of two authors in the New Testament who were not apostles. It raises the question about Paul. Well, he was granted a special resurrection appearance by the Lord. Without this, he could not have been an apostle. In 1 Corinthians 9, 1, Paul cries out, Am I not an apostle? Have I not seen Jesus our Lord? He adds to that in 1 Corinthians 15, verse 8, where he says, Last of all, as one untimely born, he, referring to Jesus, appeared also to me. For I am the least of the apostles. And so, the question is, what about James, the half-brother of Jesus? He's the fellow who wrote the book of James. You see, we know from John chapter 7, verse 5, that in the early days of Jesus' ministry, his half-brothers and sisters, they were not very supportive of Jesus. In fact, they actually opposed Jesus, including James. However, that changed just a little bit after they witnessed Jesus crucified, buried, and then Jesus showed up to James shortly thereafter, very much alive. And at that point, um, James's skepticism diminished just a bit. And he became a loyal follower of Jesus Christ and ultimately became the leader of the church in Jerusalem. And we know that Jesus commissioned James as an apostle because we read in Galatians 1 verse 19, the apostle Paul referred to James as an apostle, saying, I saw none of the other apostles, only James, the Lord's brother. The third and, and, and final qualification was that the apostles were given special inspiration by the Holy Spirit of God to write the New Testament scriptures. In John 14, 25, Jesus said this to his disciples, All this I have spoken while still with you. But the counselor, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, will teach you all things and will remind you of everything I have said to you. You see, through these great promises, Jesus was preparing the apostles for when they would be writing the New Testament scriptures. Now, it's also important um, to note that the apostles understood Christ's intention to have them write the New Testament because they exercised the authority that Jesus gave them and they expected the early church to acknowledge it. In 1 Thessalonians 2, verse 13, Paul said, his message was the word of God. 
In 1 Corinthians 2.4, Paul said his message was not based on human wisdom, but on God's power. In addition, the early church also recognized the authority of the apostles. Ephesians 2.20 indicates that the early church built its doctrines, its teachings in other words, and its practices on the foundation of the apostles. In Acts 2.42, we're told that the early church devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching. Even the fathers of the post-apostolic era clearly understood the apostles were unique. At the beginning of the second century, Ignatius, he was the bishop of Antioch, he wrote to the Christians in Rome, I do not, as Peter and Paul, issue commands to you. They were apostles. I am but a condemned man. Tertullian of North Africa wrote these words around A.D. 200. We Christians are forbidden to introduce anything on our own authority or to choose what someone else introduces on his own authority. Our authorities are the Lord's apostles. And they in turn faithfully passed on to the nations the teachings which they have received from Christ. So when the time came to settle the canon of the New Testament or which book should be included uh, in making up the New Testament, the supreme question, not the only question because there were predominantly three major questions, but the supreme question that was asked um, is, is this book or this letter, does it have the authority of an apostle? In other words, has it been written by an apostle? And if not, did it come from their direct circle, like one of their personal disciples? Like Mark, who was really a personal disciple of Peter. And did it represent their teaching? And so you see, Jesus not only endorsed the Old Testament scriptures, but he purposefully arranged for the writing of the New Testament scriptures through his apostles. Which leads me to ask, if Jesus viewed the Bible as God's word, if he saw the scriptures as true and authoritative for our lives, then how can we possibly have a lower view of scripture than Jesus did? If he is our Lord and King. If Jesus is truly our Lord and King, then we will not choose to accept one part of the Bible and reject another part of the Bible. Kind of pick and choose. No, we'll believe what Jesus believed about the Bible. That it is true, that it is trustworthy and authoritative for our lives. So again, first of all, we trust the Bible as our source of authority because it's true and reliable. And secondly, because Jesus Christ confirmed it to be the Word of God. Thirdly and finally, we can trust the Bible as our source of authority because God breathed it. Christians believe the Bible originated in the mind of God, not in the mind of man. 
The Bible is the product of God himself. However, God, for whatever reason, chose to deliver his divine message through people. 2 Timothy 3.16 says this, All scripture is God-breathed and is useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness so that the man of God may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. Just some quick observations from this, these powerful verses. First of all, the, 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 these verses tell us that all the Bible, not some of the Bible, but all of Scripture is God-breathed. He is the ultimate authority, the ultimate source of the Scriptures. Secondly, it says all Scripture is God-breathed. This means that God so superintended the writers of scriptures that they wrote what God wanted them to write and were kept from error in doing so. Now, this does not mean that the human writers of scripture were human tape recorders through whom God dictated his message word for word. No, I mean, their their full personalities, their, their, their writing styles, their backgrounds entered into their writings. However, even though their human uniqueness came into play, God guided the writers to write exactly what he wanted written. Now, how he did that is a mystery. But you see, that's why he's God and we're not. The human writers did not leave out anything that God wanted recorded, nor did they add anything that God did not want recorded. Now, because God is ultimately the author of Scripture, that means that the Bible carries his authority. When God speaks in the Scripture, his words carry his authority. They are God-breathed. In the same way, when we read the Scriptures or when we listen to the reading of the Scriptures, we are hearing the Lord speaking to us. I trust you understand that. They are not just words on a page. They come alive when you read it. Thirdly, Paul says that all Scripture is useful. And he points out four things. For teaching, for explaining to us the truth of God, the ways of God, His will for us. It's useful for rebuking. In the sense that the scriptures are like a mirror. You know, you look in a mirror and if your face is dirty, there it is. Got to wash my face. The scriptures are like a mirror that show us where we're missing or falling short of, of God's best for us. The scriptures are useful for correcting or showing us the right way to live. And here, he goes on to say that it's useful for training in righteousness, which is the slow, lifelong process of learning to live the life that God wants us to live. And then fourthly, I want you to notice that Paul writes that the end goal 
of teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness is to thoroughly equip us for every good work. For every good work that reflects his heart and his agenda. Now, the term thoroughly equipped means complete. It means capable. In other words, the Bible alone is our final authority in matters of faith and practice. For example, let, let's say that you love snow skiing. Today is, you know, not a bad day to think about that. Now, if you had to go to three different stores to get the equipment you need to go skiing, then none of those three stores would be sufficient to equip you as a skier. But let's say that I owned a store and I was able to provide everything that you needed in order to go skiing. Then does it not follow that I am the sufficient, or my store is the sufficient source of supply for the skier? Well, you see, that's what this verse is teaching. The scriptures are able to fully equip you as a follower of Christ so that you're able to do every good work. Everything you need to live as a fully devoted follower of Christ is found in the Bible. Now, I point that out because in the Mormon faith, for example, they have five sources of infallible authority. The Bible the Book of Mormon, the Pearl of Great Price, Doctrine and Covenants, and the Mormon church leadership. All are seen as having equal, infallible authority. And yet scholars have clearly shown over the years that there are blatant contradictions between these sources of so-called infallible authority. And so, you see, the issue of authority falls into question. In the Roman Catholic Church, for example, the scriptures and church tradition, including certain writings of the Pope, are considered to be equal in authority for Catholic believers. And yet, in 1517, the Catholic priest, Martin Luther, nailed 95 theses on the church door at Wittenberg, not just because he was disputing abuse in the Roman Catholic Church and their practice of indulgences, but because he believed that the Roman Church erred in other areas as well. In short, that the church from the Pope on down was capable of error. And you see, this is why one of the key principles that came out of the Reformation is the principle of Scripture alone. Scripture alone means that all truth necessary for you to be a Christian and to live the Christian life is found in the Bible and in no other source. Now, other books and teachings that enlighten our understanding and application of the Bible... These things are helpful, of course. But all that we need to know 
about how to enter the kingdom of God. All that we need to know about living the fully devoted Christian life is found in the scriptures. Now let me be clear, when, when we say that scripture is our sole authority, we are not saying that the Bible contains all knowledge. In the words of James White, the Bible has little or nothing to say about DNA structures or about microbiology or rocket science or engine parts. Furthermore, when we say the Bible is our sole authority, we're, we're not saying that the Bible is an exhaustive catalog of all religious knowledge. I mean, we even know from, if you read John chapter 21, verse 25, that not everything that Jesus did or everything that Jesus said is recorded. Rather, what we're saying is, is that Scripture is the highest and supreme authority on any matter to which it does speak. Furthermore, when we say the Bible is our sole authority, we are not denying the authority of the church to teach God's word. See, we have to remember that the apostles established local churches. They chose leaders. They entrusted to them the task of teaching and preaching. Revealing, communicating the gospel of Jesus Christ. 1 Timothy 5.17 says, those, that those called of God to minister the word and give leadership to the congregation are worthy of double honor, not double salary, although I could be mistaken. <clears throat> now seriously, double honor means to respect the pastor's calling, to receive direction and teaching from the scriptures in a spirit of openness, in a spirit of humility as from the Lord. What it doesn't mean, however, is that out of respect for the pastoral leadership of the church, you blindly accept what is taught as truth from God. Rather, we should follow the example of the Berean Christians who very humbly, and I stress that, they weren't a bunch of arrogant egotists. They very humbly... Checked, or, yeah, checked Paul's teaching. They, they, they searched the scriptures, and they were praised for it in Acts 17, 11. You see, even though we're to respect and honor those in church authority, no one, not Henry Shore, not Billy Graham, not even the Pope, is above the scriptures. In the same way, all church traditions are not necessarily wrong. In fact, they may be helpful in some areas. But they must be tested by a higher authority, and that authority is the Bible. So there you have it. It's one person that's really fired up. I'm really glad about that. So there you have it, three key reasons why we trust the Bible as our source of authority and why we need to take it seriously, folks, and not ignore it. Because firstly, it is true. It is trustworthy and reliable. Secondly, Jesus confirmed it as the word of God, and if he is our Lord and King, so must we. And thirdly, 
It is God breathing. Our God is the source of it. And therefore, the scriptures carry his authority. So what does all of this mean for us today? Well, let me just say this in closing. If this book is really God's word, and I believe to the core of my being that it is, then that means that its promises are true. Some of you are carrying around a backpack full of worry. Worry about losing your job or about getting a job or or about making ends meet. Well, Jesus wants you to stop lugging around that backpack of worry. Worry over your family, worry over your marriage and all those other things that are just weighing you down. He wants you to take it off and cast it and those cares on him. 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 7. You see, this is where the word helps us. 1 Peter 5, 7 says, cast all your anxiety on him because he cares for you. Hebrews 13, 5, the Lord says, never will I leave you, never will I forsake you. And so when you feel like everybody's leaving town, remember, he is with you. Some of you are frustrated and confused about maybe a course of uh, studies you should take or what career um, you should head into or, or who you should marry or where you should invest your time. Well, in Proverbs 3, 5, and 6, the Lord invites you to draw near to Him, to trust Him. He says, um, trust in the Lord with all your heart. And lean not on your own understanding. Because that's not a good road to be on. No, in all your ways, submit to him. Trust him. And in his own way, in his own time, he will direct your paths. He will bring clarity. He will guide you. Lean on him totally. Others of you are feeling very insecure right now. You're lacking confidence in your work. You're you're lacking confidence in a relationship. And yet over and over again in the scriptures, God invites us to find our identity, to define ourselves on the basis of how he sees us. And find our peace in him. To submit to him, to trust him, and to step out in faith, believing that he will give us the power that we need to do what he's calling us to do. John 14, 27, Jesus says, Peace I leave with you. My peace I give you. I do not give to you as the world gives. Do not let your hearts be troubled. And do not be afraid. Philippians 4, 13 says, I can do all things through Christ who gives me strength. Folks, God wants to encourage us. He wants to speak to us. He wants to remind us of his faithfulness, he, that he is with us, that, that he will never leave us or forsake us. He wants to empower us to persevere during the difficult times and to find victory over our circumstances. But you see, he needs our attention. He 
He needs us to hear him, to approach him. And that's just not going to happen unless we first of all believe that he is God. And that the Bible is the authoritative word of God. And we open this book. And we read it believing that those words as they come off the page is God speaking to us. If this is the authoritative word of the living God on how we can live this life to the full and how we can avoid running our lives into the ditch of despair and destruction, then to not open this book, to ignore it, to neglect studying it, to, to, to neglect hearing it taught in services like this is tragic. Because the one who made us has given us the answers to all the questions that we have. And we're going to miss his very best for us in this life. You know, he has our best interests at heart, folks. He has the heart of a loving father, the same kind of heart he had when he said to the children of Israel in Deuteronomy 5, right after he gave the Ten Commandments, this is what he said, Oh, that their hearts would be inclined to fear me. In other words, to respect me. And keep my commandments always. Why? To make our life miserable? Did he give us the commandments and the principles and the values and the morals of Scripture to make us miserable? No, he says, oh, that their hearts would be inclined to fear me and keep my commands always. Why? So that it might go well with them and their children forever. See, that's the heart of our loving Heavenly Father. Even his negative commands are given for a positive purpose. He wired us up. He knows the key to living life to the full, the key to true satisfaction and fulfillment in life. And he longs for us to draw near to him and to follow his lead. For when we do, when we live our life the way that he's calling us to, what's going to happen is, is that our life is going to increasingly experience and reflect his love and joy and peace and patience and kindness and gentleness and goodness. And God's going to use us to impact others for eternity. Now, for what it's worth, I haven't always lived up to the teachings of Scripture. And I've often paid the price and I've scarred myself and I've scarred other people but since my mid-teens when I totally surrendered my life to Jesus Christ which by the way is something I do pretty much every day I have sought to know and to submit and follow the principles and the commands of this book because deep down inside I know these words are God's words 
This book gives me perspective about my past. It gives me wisdom for the present. It gives me hope for the future. And I thank God for this book. Friend, the Bible's more than a bookend. It's more than a nice book to have on a shelf. No, it is a light that gives wisdom and direction to life. It is a rock upon which you can stand and not be moved by the shifting sands of time. It is the truth. And the truth will set you free. Would you please stand for closing prayer? you just open up your hands to the Lord again two questions Lord what are you saying to me and Lord what are you asking me to do about what I've heard today Heavenly Father, I just want to praise you and thank you for revealing yourself through creation, through your son Jesus, and yes, through your word, the Bible. I'm so grateful, Lord, that you chose to reveal your greatness and your character and grace through your word. I'm thankful that you gave us a roadmap, a guidebook on how to live this life to the fullest and how to prepare for the next. I'm so glad that there is a blueprint, that there are standards, that there is objective truth by which we can measure all of the confusion and the speculation that's going on around us. Forgive me, Lord, and forgive us all for neglecting to read such a precious gift. Lord, so many lives are in turmoil and despair. So many marriages are on the rocks. So many families are in crisis because this book has been violated, because this book has been ignored. Lord, I pray that every person in this place will, will come to a deep conviction about the importance of hearing from you on a regular basis through the scriptures. Lord, that we'd all come to that place of trusting the scriptures, opening it often, drinking from its wisdom, following it faithfully to the glory of God. And for the sake of a world, Lord, that is looking at us and wondering whether Jesus really does make any difference. 
for we pray it all in the precious name of Jesus. And now may the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you his precious peace. In the name of God the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Thanks for listening. We hope this message has impacted you. We'd like to challenge you to take it one step further and get connected. For any questions or prayer, please visit our website at cschurch.ca. You can also like us on Facebook or follow us on Twitter 